Welcome to Fun is Fundamental. Fun is Fundamental is a podcast for those who realize that the enjoyment of life is about having something deep in our souls which lights our fire. It's for those who maybe have lost that fire and feel like they are missing out on the pleasures of life. In each episode, I will share recent fun activities and focus on why having fun is essential for good health. I'm your host, Alenia, and I invite you to take this journey with me and join the pleasure-seeking movement. Hi, good morning, Simone. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I guess, can you first tell the audience about about yourself and and what you do? Absolutely. So I, first and foremost, I am a mom of six. I have been married for 30 years and I am a keynote speaker and an author. And I also do board facilitations and I have a podcast with my daughter. Oh. (laughs) All kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I guess first, uh, tell me about your children. Uh, I know you adopted three of them. um, And yeah, tell me a little bit about that story. So they now range in age from 15 to almost 27. He'll be 27 this month. So I figured 27. And we adopted our youngest three, our son, Ari, who is now 19. He's from Ethiopia. He came home at four and a half years old. Our son, Noah, who is from South Korea, he's now 17. And he came home at four months old. And then our daughter, Millie, who is also from Ethiopia, she came, she came home, she's 15 now, and she came home at uh, two and a half years old. Okay. Um, what was, what was that experience like of uh, adopting children from abroad? And It was complicated. It was long, um, but it was worth every second. They are amazing kids, but you know, it's a hard thing when we, we, we see our country and we, Obviously, there's there's a lot of issues in our country, but and there is a lot of poverty. Obviously, there's a lot of homelessness, and but I think when you go to another country and you see it at such a large scale, it really impacts you. You don't realize how many children are orphans, and yes, there are plenty of orphans in the United States. I I know I know that, and I know there's the foster care system, and there's so many things going on. Um, but really, seeing that kind of that level of a developing country and but what's interesting is that with all of that in place the people there are so happy and i'm talking about ethiopia like it this is their life like they're enjoying their life they don't look at themselves and say oh i wish i could have this it's this is what i have and this is you know i'm going to enjoy what i'm doing so it was a very good perspective for my family to see because I do think we take a lot of things for granted. Now, South Korea, it was completely different. It's, you know, it, he's obviously there's, there's still a lot of poverty there, but it, he was living with a foster family and the woman who was taking care of him absolutely loved him. And she was fantastic. When we brought him home, um, she cried and that was really hard to see. And she had fostered countless number of children and, but it just meant so much to her. And it was just a really powerful moment to see how much she loved, she loved him and, and how hard it was still to say goodbye, even though she's done this so many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was the, what was your reason for wanting to adopt children? <clears throat> so, excuse me, we, 
We actually have four years between our first two children. So um, I was having a hard time getting pregnant. And so we started looking at adoption then. Of course, as soon as we really start looking, um, I find out I'm pregnant. And that's typically how it goes. Either you're in the process or you've already adopted and then you find out you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. But we, at that point, we felt and we still feel that there are just so many amazing kids in the world just waiting for a family to love them. And we wanted to be that family. We didn't know it was going to take us, you know, three times to other countries. But, um, you know, as soon as we adopted Noah, we knew we wanted to do it again, even though life was chaotic. Uh, he, Noah is on the autism spectrum, highly functioning. It's hard to say terminology for it these days, but he, he does really well in school. He's a great kid. Um, but it was challenging at first. He had a lot of sensory issues. You couldn't, if he was on his back, he was crying, which meant every car ride he was crying. And that was really, that was really difficult. There was a lot of things that were difficult, but it was 100% worth it. And we said, you know, we want to do this again. And then we fell in love with Ethiopia and, and jumped in again. And then when we were in Ethiopia, we knew we were going to come back again. So, and then we said, the minivan is full. We can't come back anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I also, I know that you uh, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, can you tell, tell, tell us a little bit about that? That was in 2015. And I always say that it kind of just fell in my lap. It wasn't something I was looking for. And I am not an athlete by any means. It was not on my bucket list. But my husband was asked to do it. And he said, no, thank you. Call Simone. And they did. And I said, you know what, I think I really want to do this. And the big reason behind it, I was really struggling at that point. I yes, I had six kids at home. I I just felt like I wasn't doing enough in my life. I didn't do things because I was afraid of failure. And that moment kind of changed so many things for me. It was a moment where I said yes. And I didn't just set the goal, but I put in the work, which I think for many times in my life, I set a goal and then said, oh, I won't be able to do this. So then I quit. And that kind of system for me led me to just kind of feel bad about myself. And so I said, this time I'm really going to do this. I am going to set the goal. I'm going to put in the work and I'm going to believe in myself, which is, again, something that I really struggled with for so long. And that's exactly what I did. I went with the Live Strong Foundation. So I was raising money for them, which was fantastic. And I trained for six months and and when I say trained, it was every day. I was on the treadmill at a high incline. I was, we have one big bridge in Sarasota. It's kind of funny because like we're, you know, at sea level. So it's kind of hard <laughs> unless I'm going in the parking garage steps. And so I would wear my backpack and my boots because you got to break in your boots. And I would do that, uh, that every weekend, but then I would work out every single day. And I wore this ridiculous mask. Now it would look fine. People would be like, oh, she's wearing a mask. But it was called an elevation training mask. And mm -hmm. basically, I looked like um, Bane from Batman. Okay. <laughs> so it had these um, valves on the side that you could adjust the valves so that it could, it, it, it would kind of be like you were at that level of elevation. So it went up to like 15,000 feet. Now it doesn't 
do anything for the chemical change that you experience when you're at high elevation. So it doesn't oxygenate your blood or anything like that, but it builds lung capacity. So I actually found it to be a really helpful tool. I used to wear it in a boxing class and oh my gosh, I, you know, you, you cannot breathe. You're like, oh, the whole time. So, but it was, it was really a life-changing experience. I, so there were 16 of us that went, um, I, not only were we strangers, but, and, and, climbing a mountain together, but we were also, everybody had a tent mate. So I was paired with a woman named Rhonda, who's fantastic. And she's a breast cancer survivor. And I didn't, you know, here, first of all, I don't think I realized I was going to be in the same tent as someone like, okay, in my own tent, they're tiny tents, but it was such a powerful experience to like share that, that whole trip with somebody, that whole journey. And making it to the summit and thinking to myself, like, I really thought about all of the moments when I didn't believe in myself, when I thought that I wasn't enough, that I let my fear of failure prevent me from even trying. And I said, I'm done. I'm done with that. Like, this is, I'm going to figure out what I want because that's the first thing is that I think a lot of times we do things just to do things or because someone else tells us to, or because society tells us to, instead of asking ourselves what we want. And so that was really a moment in time. I summited and I said, I'm going to from now, from now on, I mean, there's all always things we have to do that we don't want to do, but you know, the big things, ask myself what I want and then put in the work behind it. And it has been life changing for me, how I talk about myself, how I talk to myself. And I am so thankful that I had that experience. And I think it's changed my family as well. I mean, I think they've seen things and they've now tried things because of that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having the example of being like, like go and do hard things like it yeah will change your life to do hard things so that's good um what what is it like though like training to do something like this when you have six kids like how do you balance uh home life and you know yeah getting your goals i don't so there's always that notion of the work-life balance and I think that's a very tough thing. And that's kind of one of the things I said, if I'm going to be, if I really want to achieve this, there's certain things you have to let go, right? Like you, I'm not going to be cooking the huge dinners I was cooking before, or I'm not going to be whatever I was doing. Like I had, you have to make adjustments. And I think that's true of any work-life balance that, because I don't think it actually exists. I think it's, you have to, if you're really good at work, things are going to slack a little bit at home. If you're really good at home, things are going to slack a little bit at work. And that's life. I mean, you go in cycles on that. So there's no like giving yourself a hard time because, oh my gosh, I didn't, you know, cook a fancy dinner tonight. And it's more like, hey, you know, the the kids want fast food. So what's the big deal? And giving yourself some grace. But yeah, it wasn't easy. It was just kind of trying to fit everything in. And I think that's what a lot of us do is like, okay, now what I did that worked really well for me and the same for when I wrote my book was I, I put it on a schedule. So I literally, if it's in my calendar, it's going to happen. If it's not in my calendar, I don't know it's there. So that's kind of how I approach most things in my life now that I got, I have to schedule it. And if I schedule it, it's going to get done. And so I would find time wherever I needed to find time, whether it was late at night or first thing in the morning, there was a lot of four o'clock in the morning workouts, which I don't want to do that anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm too tired. I have such bad insomnia that I'm not going back to that, but you know, I did what I had to do to get it done. And I think the kids really respected it. And 
when I left, I was gone for two weeks and I had someone say to me one time, actually it was on a podcast and she said to me, don't you think leaving your family for two weeks is a little selfish? And I said, not at all. I said, it's called self-care and self-care is never selfish, you know, and, and for my kids to see that I, I can do something like this when I'm not an athlete and I've never even thought about it before that I could, again, setting the goal, putting in the work that it was actually a moment for them where they saw that, Hey, they can do hard things just like you said. And, um, so it was kind of shocking to me when that woman asked me that, because I was thinking really that's selfish. Like, I don't see that at all as selfish. So ladies, when you go do something, it's self-care, take care of yourself. That's so, it's so important. Um, and that's kind of how I approach all of these things now. And I have a, I've been married for, like I said, been married for 30 years and my husband is very supportive of the things that I do. And, and it's never been a having to ask him, you know, can I go do this? It's um, let me make sure your schedule is fine so I can make sure the kids are taken care of or whatever I need to do. You know, it's it's a partnership. So I'm not going to dump everything on him, but mm-hmm. he also wants me to be happy and and try new things and and do things that will really fill my cup. Yeah, it's I, I find it really sad that we live in a society that feels like women mothers are not allowed to do anything for themselves like like you're expected to be a mother only and like kind of it's kind of martyrdom in a way sometimes of like this is all you are and that she thought it was like is that selfish for you to do that it's like "Mm, no (laughs) it's a very interesting concept in our society that, and obviously when I say our society, I think in the world, I mean, we're talking across countries that as a mom, and it's funny because I'm working on a new book now called Label Me Not. And, you know, it's, this is the label that we get as a mom that you can't do anything but being a mom. And that's not true everywhere, but, you know, it's pretty substantial when you have that, you know, that title of stay at home mom, it's crazy when you look at the statistics of how it's very hard to come back into the workforce. Most people don't want to interview you because they think that if you've been a stay-at-home mom, you're lazy, which is so ridiculous. I mean, I kind of want those people to try it for a week and see how long they last. <laughs> but it's something that we it's been going on for so long and obviously people are breaking the stereotype and and but it's still it's hard to watch because you think like, no, this is something I'm choosing to do and I want to raise good humans because what's more important than that? I don't think that women who decide to stay at home, well, not I don't think, women who decide to stay at home should not feel guilty about it or should not feel bad about what they're doing. Um, I remember being at a luncheon one time and I sat next to a woman who was a CEO of a big corporation and she asked me what I did. And at the time I was a stay-at-home mom. And so I told her and she said, I can't imagine anything worse. And I was like, oh, okay. This is why people feel bad about themselves. When you have people telling you like, I can't imagine anything worse than being a stay-at-home mom. Like, how do you recover from that? Right? I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I hope you don't have kids in the future. (laughs) Like, what do I say to that? I don't know. Like, um, but yeah, it's a very hard thing in society that we, we don't get enough credit for the things that we're doing that change lives. And whether you're a mom or not a mom, the little things you do every day affect the world. And 
personally, I want to be a positive impact on the world and not, not a negative. I, would, I don't think I would ever say to somebody, whatever job they did, I can't imagine anything worse. I couldn't imagine anything worse. <laughs> but um, so I always remind myself of that when, you know, someone is saying something like, that's amazing. Instead of, I can't imagine anything worse. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, the only things I could think of that would be like, one of the worst things would be like, politician (laughs) that's terrible (laughs) (laughs) that's actually really funny uh we were talking about that the other day like in terms of presidential candidates and and not getting political but just like uh who would want to do that job right like that's the problem is that it's you're setting yourself up for like misery yes you're leading an amazing country and but oh the little nitpicky and the big stuff all of it it's just like you can't do right right and like you it's so hard to move forward. And I, and it's funny, I, I, it's interesting looking at the presidents when they start and Biden, Biden is an exception because he was older and Trump too, but, you know, looking at Obama, for example, when he started, how different he looked when he finished, right? Oh man. The change in hair color. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I mean, you know, you don't sleep, you are traveling the world, you're, you know, and you're dealing with stuff every day. Yeah. So yes, I agree with you that it would be, an impossible job to have. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. What, what other things have after, you know, climbing um, Mount Kilimanjaro, what, what other things have you taken on uh, that you didn't think that you could do before? Well, being a speaker, that would be like the big one. I mean, I never, I never thought I had a story. So that was like step one is understanding that we all have a story. I was doing some volunteer work and I was asked at one event to give a keynote speech for, um, it was at a fundraising event and I said, okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to talk about? But that's when I realized I do have a story to tell and all of my stories wrapped up and, you know, it, it does impact people. And I think each and every one of us need to look at that and say, okay, Yes, I do have a story. I think sometimes we're afraid to share our stories. We're afraid to be judged. We're, we don't think we matter, all these kinds of things. But every single person has a story that can help another person. And that's kind of my thing. If I can help one person by sharing my stories, then it's so important. We, um, you know, on in that realm, the idea of standing in front of hundreds, thousands of people sharing a story used to be completely intimidating intimidating for me and now i find it like energizing and i feel comfortable and never would i have thought and actually if you ask my husband about public speaking he would say i couldn't imagine anything worse <laughs> not yeah. that he doesn't love what i do but he's like oh my gosh that is so intimidating that is so scary i can't do that but so that's one big thing and writing a book like i'm a cpa by trade so I went to school for accounting, passed the CPA exam, worked as an accountant for a bit, changed my mind and several other things, and then ended up on this path of uh, writing and speaking. And I really enjoy it, actually. And it's funny, when I started writing, when I said to, when I said to my husband, um, hey, I'm going to write a book, he's like, can't wait to read it. <laughs> it wasn't like, ugh. But... I, I don't think I knew I had it in me as I started. I mean, trust me, I needed help editing and there was a lot of parts that it, nobody does anything alone, right? Like you, we don't live in these bubbles where 
we do one thing and someone else does another. Like we need help. And, and, and that's an important thing to be able to ask for help. But mm-hmm. I think that was another piece of understanding that I can impact people with my story on paper too. And hence the reason I'm writing a second book. And it's been a really fun process. I think a lot of times too, that we, we say to ourselves, like once we commit to something, like once we start a job, that that's it for the rest of our lives. And I want to say that if COVID taught us anything, it would be to be a little happier. I don't actually see that for a lot of people. I see people being a little angrier, but Mm -hmm. I think we should be a little happier and we should really be enjoying our lives and enjoying what we do. Now, I'm not saying quit your job tomorrow and find something else, but what I am saying is figure out what you really want and see how you can make it happen because we all can make it happen. And, you know, yes, we need to pay the bills, so we need to have that in the equation, but making sure that we're enjoying our lives because we only have one and it's the most important thing is to raise, raise great kids and, you know, have some happiness along the way. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, What, what advice, uh, I I find like there's a lot of people that don't really know what they want, you know? Uh, Do you have any advice for people who are trying to figure that out? So I had a woman who said to me one time, uh, I, when I was, I was talking about Kilimanjaro somewhere and she came up to me and she said, I could never do that. And I said, well, would you want to? And she said, no, I wouldn't want to. And I said, okay, well then change your words. Uh, You know, change your words, say, I would never want to do that because as soon as you say the word can't, can't means won't, you're limiting yourself. And, um, you know, it's, it it was kind of interesting. So I think for first and foremost, like, what do you really like, right? Look at the things that you like and that you feel that you're good at. And it's not someone else telling you that you're good at it, but you feel that you're good at. And don't look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm not good at anything because that's not true, right? First, first you got to look at that and say, okay, this is something that I really like. And sometimes we don't know we really like it until we stumble upon it, like my public speaking. So say yes to things. When you're asked to volunteer with something, say yes, you never know what's gonna come of that. Um, Whether it's volunteering with animals, volunteering with children, I've seen a lot of people kind of change their paths based on some volunteer work that they've done. And and then the second step is once once you find something that you like, kind of look into it, see what kind of jobs you can do within that realm. And, and it doesn't have to be a monetary job. For some people, they want to stick with their job, their, mon- their regular, their paying job because it makes good money and they don't absolutely love it, but they don't want to leave it. So then they find a way to, to satisfy themselves by doing volunteer work that they're really passionate about. And it's all about trying things. You know, what do we do with our kids when they're little? Like we put them in this sport, we put them in that sport, we put them in, you know, um, music classes. We do all these different things to see what sticks. And I think we still need to be doing that as an adult to see kind of like, and I know we don't have the same amount of time as, as we did when we were kids, but figuring out what, what sticks with you when you try something and, and not letting fear limit you from doing the actual trying of things because that would be that's probably actually step one is don't be afraid right to take a step back and say you know what why does it matter what sarah over here 
thinks about me when I'm doing this? How do I feel about myself? And we let we too too many times we let social media guide us. We let you know the people around us guide us instead of guiding ourselves. So I think all of those pieces together, you know, say yes. Don't be afraid to try things. Uh, think back to when you were a kid and think about what you really liked back then. You know, I mean, we all had our ideas of what we wanted to be when we grew up and sometimes life gets in the way. Go back to that and say, you know what? I love this. Can I make it into a job? Can I make it into volunteer work? And then move on from there. Yeah, definitely. And also like, I feel like a lot of people have um, perfectionism and that's also Uh why they don't want to try things (laughs) because it's like, well, I don't want to try this if I'm not going to be good at it. So what's, you know, what's the point then kind of thing. It, it's so true. And what we need to realize is that there's a, um, I think it's a Malcolm Gladwell book out there that talks about the 20,000 hour rule to be really good at something. Even if you have natural talent, it takes 20,000 hours. How many people are willing to put in 20,000 hours, right? They're just not. And so that's the thing is that you can't just stop and say, oh, I'm not good at this. So I'm, I'm not going to try it. It takes a long time to get really good at anything. And giving ourselves grace and understanding that we don't grow as a person if we don't challenge ourselves. If we don't fail, how do we move forward, right? I mean, there's not one person in this world that doesn't fail. And I fail pretty regularly. Like, you know, I try something new. I'm like, well, that didn't work. Uh, Okay, what can I do better next time? Instead of saying, well, that didn't work, I'm done. I used to say, that didn't work, I'm done, which is, it's not a growth mindset. Like we have to be in the mindset where we say, you know what, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has failures. I learned from this. Let me move forward. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, let's talk about your book a little bit, The Extraordinary Unordinary You. Uh, what, like, what is, what is it about? What, what's the lessons to be learned? There? Yeah, it's, it's all about realizing what you're capable of and recognizing that the little things you do every day matter. And it's stories of my life, which but put in the perspective of having other people be able to take away things that I've done good and things that I've done bad or, you know, things that have really worked for me to kind of help other people see that those things that they're doing every day make a difference in the world. Because again, I didn't give myself credit for any of the things I was doing. I didn't think I was doing really anything. And again, when you have the outside word telling you that as a stay-at-home mom, like you have no skills, then it's really you put too much pressure on yourself. And so I talk about the kids' adoption stories. I talk about Kilimanjaro. I talk about ridiculous stories like uh, we had a minivan and my son had been, he was away at summer camp, uh, Noah. And at summer camp, he was actually, he was bit by a poisonous snake. I was in another country. And so my husband had to literally, he was operating, he had to fly to Atlanta to meeting him at the children's hospital. Noah was life flighted from, from the camp. Uh, they gave him multiple vials of anti-venom. He spent three nights in the ICU. He did fine, um, but that's not the story. So he, we get, he gets home, I get home. And um, because of his arm being swollen for so long, it's kind of locked in place. So we had to do some physical therapy. So we go to get in the minivan and as we're pulling out, I look back at him. I'm like, are you buckled? And he's like, I'm trying. It's hard with one arm. So he gets himself buckled. And I look back again and I'm like, something's not right. I was like, why is there popcorn all over the seat? 
And I look back again, I was like, oh my gosh, that is not popcorn. So I'm like, get out of the car. I, you know, I stopped the car. I'm like, get out of the car. He's like, what? I'm like, get out of the car. And we both get out of the car. I go look in the back seat. Now it's not popcorn. It's the foam from the inside of the seat and mixed in it was rat poop everywhere. So a rat had climbed in through the engine block of the minivan uh-huh. and chewed on basically every seat in the car. And they ended up totaling the car because a rat ate my seats. Now, oh, when man. I was younger, I would have been completely embarrassed by this story. Like, oh my gosh, my car is filthy. Yeah, it's a moving trash can. When you have six kids, there are crackers shoved into every nook and cranny, right? Um, but yeah, he climbed in through the engine block. He chewed through the wires. He made it into the car and had a feast. Didn't know if it was one rat, five rats, 10 rats, who knows. Um, But it would have been embarrassing when I was younger. I would have never told people that story. I'd be like, okay, yes, a rat totaled my minivan because it was disgusting. I got a new car out of it, so that was okay. But uh, it's just one of those ridiculous stories that we have that, again, I think sometimes we don't share those things because we're so afraid we're going to be judged. And I'm like, oh, judge me all you want. It's ridiculous. And tell me if you have that many kids that you don't have crap in your car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Kid, kids in cars equal gross. Yeah. 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 And, you know, the book is, you know, there's life lessons. There's there's all kinds of stuff that um, and I've had a really great response to it. So I'm really thankful for everyone that has read it. And if you read it, I would love to hear from you because, you know, it it helps me figure out how to move forward and what to do next with my next book. And so it's been, it's been a, a really fun experience. That's great. Yeah. Um, what is your philosophy on life? Ooh. So the biggest thing I like to say is that we don't need to, we don't need to change who we are. We need to change the way we see ourselves. And that's kind of what really has impacted my life the most is that I was constantly thinking I needed to change who I was. I was constantly looking in the mirror saying, you know, you need to lose weight. You need to, you know, straighten your hair. I used to straighten my hair for a while. I have very curly hair. Um, you, all of these things that I was trying to change instead of looking at myself as I, as I am and saying, you know, I can impact the world as I am, not just as I am, but as I am. And, you know, I, that, to me is so important because all of these things are thrown at us every day of read this latest self-help book to change this, read this to change this. And for me, it's not about, it's when you look in the mirror and say, um, I'm happy as I am, it really changes a lot of things. I really think the world opens up to you because as soon as you're happy and you not even just happy, but you're comfortable, you believe in yourself, all of these different pieces, then you're willing to try more things. You're not going to let fear, the fear of failure prevent you from trying anymore. You're, um, you're willing to reach out to help others because you know what you've gone through to get to this point. And, um, and then you're willing to expand your goals and put in the work behind it. So I think that for me, that has been such a guiding force. And this has been a recent thing. This is just, I'm 51 now. So this really started in my 40s. And it's been a life-changing philosophy for me instead of constantly trying to nitpick and change every little thing about myself. And I believe that's true of every single person, that if we took a look in the mirror and said, I don't need to change who I am, I'm going to change the way I see myself. I really think that people will see a huge difference in how they move forward in life. 
Um, how do you define fun? Ah, fun for me is really anything that makes me happy. So whether it's sitting on the couch and watching a movie and drinking a glass of wine or climbing Kilimanjaro. I mean, there were parts of that were, that were fun. A lot of it was really hard. Mm -hmm. um, spending time with my family, anything that makes me feel good is fun to me. I mean, a big fun for me is I love to travel. Um, but it's all those little moments kind of added together that that sometimes I think we we take for granted. Those are the really fun moments of just, you know, hanging out with my kids. And I was just in New York and I was able to visit one of my daughters. And, you know, we had sleepovers for, for three nights. That was really fun. You know, she's in her 20s now. So um, those little things that maybe I used to take for granted. Now I'm like, those are the really fun moments for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I also like to ask my guests what their play personality is. Based on the Institute of Play in the United States, there are eight play personalities and you can be more than one. There's storyteller, which I know you talked about. Yeah. Uh, explorer artist joker kinesthetic competitor collector and director so i think i would take three of them which would be storyteller explorer and director and the only way the reason i say director is because you sometimes have to be a director when you have six kids. Sure, I can imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you gotta like juggle all the all the pieces. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. I uh, I think that's a great question to ask. Makes yeah. you think about things more. Yeah, and it's something that people don't know about, or like you know, no, people don't like think about like what, how do they like to play, kind of thing. So yeah. I like yeah, to I like to find that out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fun one. I'll have to look into it more because uh, it's an interesting thing. I think you can learn a lot about a person by asking questions like that. Where, um, but it's funny when I say director, like only because of the kids. It's not because like I like to tell people what to do <laughs> or mm -hmm. I'm constantly controlling everything. But it's just when you live in a situation that at any moment be could become goes from organized chaos to complete chaos. You kind of have to be a director. So. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, fun. for sure. Yeah. Um, you talked about traveling some. Uh, I'd love to hear about some of your, your favorite places you've been to. Mm -hmm. I've been to a lot of fun places. Um, I want to say we were just in Brazil um, in the Amazon rainforest in last December. And that was a great trip. So actually every kid came with us and you know, we're right on a place called a river called the Rio Negro. And we actually swam in there, which there's like huge caimans in there. So I don't know if that was the best thing. And where we were, um, they have piranhas, but they don't have like the ones that like to eat humans. So <laughs> we were okay swimming in there, but I was kind of like very intimidated at first. I was like, I don't know, do I go in? And like my girls are jumping off the top of the boat and I'm like, you know, sliding down off of the step. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to make a big splash and something might come to get me. Um, yeah. But I did do it. 
that was a great trip. Um, I've been to, obviously, with adopting children from Ethiopia, I've been to Ethiopia. Um, I w went there actually in an additional time as well. It's a beautiful country. It really, the people are beautiful. It's, it's, that was a really great trip. We did the Inca Trail. Um, we went to Lima and then we went to the Inca, did the Inca Trail in Peru. That was another one. The food was amazing. The, it was so beautiful. I mean, we've really, we've really had some amazing trips. We're going to Sweden this summer, which I'm looking forward to. I've stopped there on a cruise once, but um, never like spent a lot of time. Um, and I've been kind of all over Europe and not to every country, but Europe is a fan favorite as well. Just not in the summer when we go and it's so hot. My sister lives in Switzerland actually. And so we were there last summer visiting her and um, it wasn't too bad where she lives, but some places when you travel, you know, they don't have air conditioners and stuff and it's not what we're used to. I mean, even though I live in Florida, when it's 90 degrees out, I'm choosing to stay inside. <laughs> and so going to places that don't have AC, it makes you realize how much we take for granted. And when they have those heat waves in the summer and you're like laying in bed, just sweating it up, <laughs> just like, oh, I think I just want to go sit in the pool all night. Um, but yeah, I've been to some really, really great places in all over the United States. I'm actually, my mom is taking um, myself and two of my daughters. The third one did not want to go to Antarctica in December. And it's funny because my my daughter, Olivia, she is very well-traveled. So she did some trips when she was in middle school and high school that one, she went to Australia and um, she's she's kind of really, she's checked off every continent except for Antarctica. So for her birthday, my mom said, I'll take you. And then she said, well, let me take all the girls. And, and then she said, well, you should come too, Simone, because it makes my life easier. She's 84 now. And she's like, it's hard to, for me to, it, it's stressful for me to make any kind of decisions when it comes to travel. So I said, you want to take me to Antarctica? I'll go. Sure. <laughs> so I'm really ex excited for that, that trip. And I wish my younger daughter would be coming too, but she's, she's not a, she's not like me in terms of the travel piece. She's like, yeah, I like hanging out with the dogs at home. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, travel is definitely not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, I don't understand it, but yes, yeah, <laughs> I know. You know what? It's I, a lot of times for people, it's the getting there, and I agree with that. Especially now, flights have been so complicated. I mean, get delayed everywhere I go, and mm -hmm. so it's the getting there. But once you're there, like the experiences you have, and to see how people live, I mean, that to me is so impactful. To see the difference in societies and the similarities as well and trying new foods and there's just so many cool things and I, I do think that travel kind of makes you a I don't want to say a better person but a, a wiser person because you understand different cultures more you're willing to try new things you're willing to see how other people live and kind of bring that back with you when you come home and I really do think it impacts you in such a powerful way mm-hmm yeah, no, I, I, I know my experiences of going abroad um, definitely changed me as a person for the for the better. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 
It's unlike anything else. And even traveling within the United States, I mean, from state to state, we are so different, right? Forget the accents. I mean, the accents are cool to, to hear, but the food and the way people interact, it's so different from state to state. It's so interesting how that works. And it's amazing in the United States, all of the different terrains that we have to see. So, you know, the, the mountains and the snow and the beaches and the sand and the heat and so many different pieces that unless you get out there and see it, take a road trip, get in the car. There's so many cool things to see out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I remember um, my husband and I like going to South Dakota and like seeing the Badlands and things like that. And it's just like, yeah, that's, it's so cool. Like, yeah. you know, like I didn't realize this was here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. We did that. I don't remember how many years ago, but I, we were doing a family trip up to Montana and we, I travel with my best friend from college every year and her family and then whoever else wants to come as well. And so we're going to Montana. I said, well, let's make it into a road trip. And my husband said, I'll meet you there. <laughs> it's not his thing. So we drove, I drove with all the kids and you know, you saw things that you wouldn't see if you weren't flying. And one of the places we went to was South Dakota and the Badlands and Custer State Park. And it was so so cool and so fun. The kids absolutely loved it. In Custer State Park, we stayed in a, a like a little cabin um, on this creek. And all they wanted to do was like play in the creek all day, you know. Um, but the wildlife, things that we don't have like that here, like that was just, it's always, the, and I have lots of friends who were like, oh, I never want to do a road trip. But that's how you see the country. Like that's how you really see it. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to just seeing like this like little dot here, like this right. city, this city, this city. It's like getting the full experience is driving through it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I guess it's kind of it kind of reminds me of like people that go to like resorts and stuff like that. I'm like, you don't, you didn't really see Mexico if you're, if you're in a resort, like you know, kind of thing. So. Yeah. yeah, it's the relaxation of going to a resort, but it's you're not seeing the actual country. We uh, we went to Mexico. Um, we stayed in a place called Merida, and I mean we've been to the resort towns as well. But um, that was really cool because it's like a big city, and there's so much going on there, and the food and the people, and you really felt like you were because it's it's not it's not a resort town. It's a regular place, and so you feel like you're totally engulfed in what it's like to be in, you know, a Mexican daily life. So that was really fun. Something completely different experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, you have six children. I like, uh, what can we learn from children? Oh, everything. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they tell it how it is. I mean, I think that is one of my my favorite things about kids, I have a couple funny stories about that. So Millie, our youngest daughter, she, one day my husband comes out wearing a yellow shirt and black shorts. And she's like, are you going to wear that? And he said, well, yeah, why? She goes, because uh, you look like a bumblebee. And <laughs> he said, well, and he's like, I had, you know, he's trying to like tell her she's like six years old or whatever. And he's maybe even five trying to tell her that, well, you know, I gained some weight. I am not fitting in my clothes. So this is kind of what fits. And he's like trying to justify 
you know, his outfit to her. And so then he's like, well, fine, I'll go change. So he goes back and he doesn't find anything else. He comes back and he's like, well, is it okay? And she goes, yeah, it's fine. I'll say what I really think inside my head. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then same, same daughter, uh, during COVID, we had gone to Starbucks and obviously the only thing that's open is the drive-through. And so we get we're waiting and there was such a long line. We're waiting in the, in the parking lot basically to get into the line. And I was trying to, trying to leave enough space so that anybody that needed to back out of their parking space or whatever would have space. So the line starts to move and someone from who knows where jumped in front of me into the line. And, um, I literally, I literally lost it. Like I was, I, who knows what was coming out of my mouth, but it was not good. And she looks at me like, literally, I have snakes coming out of my head. And she's like, are you good, mom? And I was like, no, I'm not good. Like, what just happened? And she's like, I think you might have forgotten a few things about patience, kindness, understanding. You might need to reread your own book. (laughs) And it was it was such a funny moment. Of course, then she has me laughing and she's like, you always say that you never know what anybody else is going through. You can't walk in their shoes. She's like, maybe this person's having a really bad morning. Uh, maybe they're late for work. Maybe they didn't even realize you were in line. Like, have you thought of that? Like, she's like giving me this whole lecture. And then, of course, when we get up to the window to pay, the woman had paid for our drinks. And yeah, it was really so I, something I'll never forget. Like I the story itself i probably wouldn't have remembered but because she paid for our drinks like that really stood out and so then millie asked if we could pay for the people behind us and um and then there was a whole conversation of how long do you think it will last for and you know it's one of those things like yeah they're brutally honest with us and and i think another piece is the way they can make friendships right especially when they're really little you know they go up onto the playground do you want to be my friend yeah and like they don't see all the things that we see. They're not judging anybody. They just want to go play. And I think if we all had that kind of mentality of not just looking at the outside of a person, but really understanding the inside and not making judgment, just understanding that anybody can be your friend and and understanding also that um, it's okay to agree to disagree, right? There's This doesn't happen anymore in our world. I kind of feel like if we disagree, we can't be friends. And it's not true of children. They they agree to disagree all the time. And then, okay, let's go on the slide. Wait, you want to go on the swing? Okay, we'll do the swing. And then we'll go on the slide. Like things like that where we just don't think like that anymore. We we make things so complicated. What else can we, we can learn everything from them. I mean, the when they're, and again, when they're little, as they get older, they get sucked into the social media side. So it becomes much more difficult. But um the way they dress when they're kids, they don't care if it matches or not. They have their favorite shirt and their fa- and sometimes they want to wear their PJs to school. And that's just life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to be wearing my PJs all the time now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just think there are so many things we, we, instead of just, I mean, trust me, we have to parent all the time, but kind of listening to their perspectives on stuff is fascinating. And they, you know, they really say it how it is. Um, I love when my kids tell me how to parent. That might be my favorite thing. Well, when I'm a parent, I would never do that. I'm, I'm like, good luck with that. It's like herding cats. So, you know, you, <laughs> yeah. you 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 try whatever you want to try. But for now, I'm the parent. So this is what we're doing. Yeah. But Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, especially after, when you have six kids, it is like herding cats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it's zone defense. You're just like, you know, you're waiting for the next thing to happen and you're trying to protect the entire territory and you just never know which way it's going to go. And, mm-hmm. but it is, uh, it's, it's been one of the, well, it has been the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life, but it's also fun. Yes. There are really tough moments. I mean, we had thousands of really tough moments, but that's one thing I would say that over my you know, all of the times where I struggled with things, that was one thing where I never backed down from. Like I was always like, okay, we're going to figure this out. We're, we're going to move forward. Okay. You did bad on this test. Let's figure out how to do that instead of just saying, oh, well, oh, well. And kids are just resilient these days. Right. And they're, yeah, there's so many amazing things that they do and that they just do naturally that we have to work really hard at because we're so scared of, well, a lot of things. We're scared of a lot of things. So we can learn so much from them. Pay attention to your kids. You'll you'll see. Um, actually, another big one, and I'll, and I'll end with this on, on this question, is I was um, – one of the times where I was struggling with my weight, I was – getting dressed for an event and clothes didn't fit, but I was putting them on anyways, like stuffing myself into them. And I'm mumbling under my breath, like, I can't believe you gained weight again. Like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? Why can't you, why can't you just take control of this? Like all of these things where I was constantly, you know, really, really mean to myself. And my daughter, Olivia came up to me and said, you need to stop being so hard on yourself. And who, I didn't even know she heard what I said, right? And I'm sure they've heard what, she said, you've you've talked negatively to, your, to yourself so many times. She goes, you're beautiful. You're an amazing person. You need to stop. She goes, and you're giving me a complex. She said, how can you expect me to love my body when you don't even like your own? And I thought that was such a great piece of advice where, She's right. I mean, we're all made the way we're made, right? I mean, we go up, we go down. We and and we can't our value shouldn't be based on those things. It shouldn't be based on, you know, our our weight, what we look like, how much money we have in the bank. And like her, the advice that they can give us and you know, they see things differently and to really take, you know, to really listen to what they have to say and that kind of changed a lot of things for me because I didn't even realize I was doing it, right? And when she said that I'm giving her a complex, it made me so much more aware of, okay, why am I doing this to myself? Why why am I so hyper-focused on this? Why, do I, why don't I just buy some new clothes that I actually fit into and just be happy with that, right? Um, we're too hard on ourselves. So, and kids say it how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird how you like put such an uh... – a value on like the size number where like we don't want to just buy bigger clothes and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Um, but also, yeah, I'm glad that, you know, she, she was a- able to say something like that. Cause you know, it, you know, as someone who was raised by a mother who was not very kind to themselves, I can say that it do- it does affect your how your children feel about themselves, yeah. Yeah, and so that really ha- helped me to say with all of the kids, like, okay, you guys are amazing just how you are, not just how you are, how you are. Mm-hmm. I hate the word just. So, um, but 
it really took them saying things to me to make me realize what I was doing and really having them, you know, they're kind of like my North star for so many things where I know they're going to be completely honest with me. And that's crucial, right? We, I don't want someone to say, oh, like if I put something on and I, you know, and I'm trying like a new color on, like something that is, I know it's not my color. And I'll ask the girls, what do you think? They're like, put on the green one, you know, and, and that's great. Or the other day I was talking to my daughter and I, um, I dye my hair at home now because um, I was going to a place and it just made my head itch like crazy. And I'm like, this can't be good for me. So, so I do it myself and um, I'm FaceTiming with her and she said, uh, when's your hair appointment? And I said, um, oh yeah, I, I need to, I need to dye it. She's like, oh yeah, you do. Those grays are popping. <laughs> <laughs> so just funny things where they just will say it how it is. And I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's been really great talking to you. Uh, where can the audience find you? Thank you. It was, it's been great talking to you as well. They can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, my website, simonecanego.com. And on all of those platforms, I'm Simone Canego, except for I think uh, Facebook. If you search Simone Canego, you will find me. I'm the only Simone Canego in the world as of yet. Um, that's what happens when you have two funky names put together. And although Simone is becoming more popular. But yeah, I would love to hear from you. You know, check out my website, check out what I do. If you read my book, send me an email. I would love to hear. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for being on. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Oh.